Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. God's Word, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, if you would, to Genesis chapter 16. What I want to do before we tackle breaking down Galatians chapter 4 and all that he says there, he's referring back to the story of Abram and Sarai and Hagar. So I want to go back and get a refresher course on that account. I'm just going to preach that account out of Genesis tonight uh, and how this, this account went down and what the circumstances were that brought about because it's going to help us. And you may have all that in your memory firm but there's a possibility you don't. Maybe it's been a while since you've been there. So I want to go back and get the details of this story and make some application to us tonight that we'll, I'm certainly be reviewing here in a couple weeks. But in Genesis 16, we're going to read down through chapter 17, verse 1. This, the chapter is short. It says, beginning verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing... I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain uh, children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, my wrong be upon thee, I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand, do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself unto her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall, be, shall not be numbered for multitude. 
And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the, Lord's, the Lord hath heard thy affliction, and he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me, for she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beer Lehiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Chapter 17, verse 1. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Thank you. You may be seated. Once again, I want to turn our attention Back here the, to this account that Paul references, I'll give you four things out of this account tonight that does parallel, correlates to what Paul's been talking about in Galatians. Again, we'll go back to Galatians, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks and break down the rest of that text before we get into chapter 5. Paul is, going, he is setting the, the stage for what he's going to deal with in chapter 5, and that is flesh versus capital S, spirit. We are not saved by the endeavor of the flesh. We are not sanctified by the endeavor of the flesh. We are not kept saved by the endeavor of the flesh. Our salvation and our sanctification is the accomplishment of the Spirit of God as we respond to Him by faith. Our part is believing what He says and putting confidence in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ as He works in us by His Spirit through the Word of God. And so Paul is setting up this analogy. He wants to help the Galatians see what they're doing he wants to help them see that even in trying to accomplish a right thing, if you and I try to accomplish the righteousness or the purposes of God in the power of the flesh, you know what it's going to produce? Corruption. False religion is man's effort to produce God's righteousness in his natural self. That's false religion. The Galatians had come to believe that God could give eternal life, just like Abram in chapter 15 the Bible says in verse 6, Abram believed the Lord in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. That's chapter 15. Chapter 16, he's trying to accomplish what God had promised by his performance, by his natural, anything, doing something any natural man can do. And that's what he tried to do, and that's what the Galatians were trying to do. They were trying to accomplish a righteous life by natural ritual. You know what ritual is? It's me trying to, to, to put a fleshly activity, and by doing this fleshly activity, it's going to make me spiritual. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm going to say tonight. I want to be very careful how I say this. It is a right and good and godly thing to be in church faithfully. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Amen? It is a right and good thing to read your Bible. It's a right and good thing to memorize Scripture. It's a Right and good thing to have family devotions. There are good things to do. But may I say this, the moment to take the Lord's Supper, a good thing or a bad thing. But the moment I start doing those things and say, those make me a righteous person. How many know that a lost person can attend church every week, open their Bible and read pages of it every morning, go through a, a practiced prayer, am I right? A natural man can do all of those things. Now, when I do those things, let me put here's, here's where it's different. If I say, the Lord Jesus Christ saved me, and through his word, he tells me that the assembling is important, and out of a, a response of faith, I'm going to prioritize assembling with God's people, 
Now that's walking in the Spirit. But if I say, you know what, I'm going to be a good Christian, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to do this, 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 I'm going to do this. And now you look at me, look at what I'm performing. Disasters around the corner. We are to walk, Galatians 5, he's going to say, walk in the Spirit. Meaning, I am to live a life in constant response to the Word of the living God. I mean, you know that as you read your Bible, the author of this Bible will speak to you if you and I will listen. He will give us very specific and direct instructions that affect the way we live our lives if we'll listen to him by faith. How many think the Holy Spirit of God has a hard time communicating? He does not. He has a hard time getting listeners. We would rather replace a spiritual life with a ritualistic life. There's a difference. God is not interested in us in getting into rituals. No, no, no. That is a habitual repetition of something that may be good, but you and I cannot naturally produce spirituality. Spirituality, I'm talking about Bible spirituality, is produced by the Spirit of God. And what we see in Abram and Sarai is they wanted something God promised, but they went about to get it their own way. So may I say this? If we can produce an atmosphere of excitement in Bonners Ferry Baptist Church by, by organization, again, we're for organization, but let's say we can produce an atmosphere of excitement. We can produce, oh, it's exciting to be at church. And let's say people are no more listening to and obeying God than we were before we were excited. That's not revival. That's man-fabricated excitement. What God is interested in is us responding in obedience to the instruction of His Word as it is applied to our lives. And He's well and able to direct us and lead us. And so... God, God had a plan to give Abraham and Sarah a son. Abraham, as Paul in Galatians has continued to go back to in thy seed, in thy seed, singular, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. But how would that seed be brought about? By natural means or by supernatural means? Supernatural. May I say this? If the life we are living as Christians is not produced by the power of God, it's not truly a Christian life. I didn't say you weren't saved. But if you and I can perform the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit of God, it ain't Christian living. It's just that simple. If a lost man can live the life we're living, then how is that really a sanctified life? It's not, is it? God intends the life of not only salvation, but the fruitful Christian life to be produced by the miraculous power of God. Remember, the Christian is a testament to the living God. Not what we can do for God, but what God has done in us. That's why Paul said, I, I travail in, in, in pain again until Christ be formed in you. Until God has accomplished in the work in you, until the character of Christ is in you. Not some, not some conformity to the Old Testament law, but conformity to the living person of Jesus Christ. So with all that in mind, let's look at Genesis 16 and some things leading up to it. Uh, that help us understand why Paul in Galatians would take us back to this account so we can establish the allegory. And all we're going to do tonight is look at Genesis 16 to establish the facts of this account so it's clear in our mind as we continue to deal with this. So it's almost going to be like a two-part sermon. We'll be back to it here after Missions Conference, Lord willing. So let's begin tonight in the lives of Abram and Sarai. Let's begin with the promise of God. Now, Paul, again, has already been dealing with that in Galatians, but let's read it in the text of Scripture. What exactly had God promised to Abram prior to Genesis 16. And if we go to Genesis chapter 12, we read the initial promise God made to him about blessing him and blessing those that would come after him. 
uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 70 and five years old uh, when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and in the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the place of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So God mentions Abram's seed in Genesis 12, 7. And he had said that in Abram would all the families of the earth be blessed. So there is a, a clear promise. You're going to have seed whereby I can bless and give what I'm going to give to you. You can give to your seed. Now Genesis chapter 13, if you would. We're looking at the promise that God made to Abram. He's promised Abram a seed, okay, an offspring, someone to, uh, to carry on his name and uh, to inherit the things that God had given him. Genesis 13, beginning verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Genesis chapter 14, Abraham has to go and deliver his nephew Lot from uh, being captured in battle in Sodom and Gomorrah. After the battle, Abram refuses the goods that he's offered by the king of Sodom. We come into chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. So Abram's just, he's just been giving, giving, giving. He delivered Lot. Lot goes back to Sodom. King of Sodom offers him goods. Abram says, No. It's at this point Abram pays tithe to Melchizedek. So he's giving, giving, giving. God says, fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, it's the first instance we get to get the idea that Abram is getting impatient on God. God's promised him seed, promised him uh, uh, offspring to hand off these blessings to. Chapter 15, verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. It's in chapter 15, God and Abram make a covenant. Okay, There's a covenant with each other that is made there. The Bible says in verse 6, uh, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. This is one of the strangest chapters in the Bible. There's a darkness and the dividing of these animals and uh, God walking between and makes a covenant with Abram. And so we have the record. Abram has believed God. God gets very specific here. I'm not only promising you a seed, but we're not going to do some kind of 
weird replacement that someone that wasn't born from you is going to be called your seed. If you say in your seed, you get the idea of natural, uh, natural generation, right? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about. So Abram's beginning to wonder, God, did I misunderstand you? You said you're going to give all this land to me and to my seed. There's only one little problem. You haven't done that yet. I have no seed. And we know by the time that this story in Genesis 16 comes along, it's been 10 years since the promise was made. I don't know about you, keeping a promise, 10 years is kind of a long time between ourselves. But you know, I promise you one day I'm going to come over and we're going to sit down and have a cup of coffee together and have some good fellowship. Say, Pastor, can you come this week? I'm sorry, I'm busy. A year from now, hey, can you come over this week? Sit down for a cup of coffee? I promise you I will. 10 years later, you're like, uh... We've gone through a lot of coffee, Pastor, and you've never had a cup. I'm thinking you're a liar. Huh? God doesn't operate on our time frames. God is waiting long enough so that it's very clear, you cannot produce what I'm promising. I will say it again. If you and I can produce a Christian life without the power of God, it's not what God promised. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. We often produce cheap counterfeits of Christianity. We get our little regiments. We get all these little things in place. We say, look at there. Look at there. We did it. We, we've done it. We've produced what God promised. No, no. Flesh cannot produce what God promises. God has to produce that. It is, it is by the power of God. So the promise of God is repeated over and over. I'll give you three things about this promise from what we just read. It was communicated clearly by God. I'm going to give you seed. It was confirmed by God. God gave him the promise in chapter 12, chapter 13, again chapter 15. God was not just saying something. It is very clear God has a distinct and specific plan for Abram, and that is that Abram would have seed, and that what God promises Abraham, he would pass on to his seed, and that in that seed would all the families of the earth be blessed, and that his seed would be as the stars of heaven for multitude and the dust on the, on, on the, uh, uh, the ground. You would not be able to number it. God has a distinct plan, and God has promised to fulfill that plan. He's promised Abram's seed. Now, if you believe God then is it possible for Abram to die without having seed? No. Here's where we get in trouble. The same place Abram got in trouble is the same place we get in trouble. I see what God promised. I want what God promised. I believe God will do it, but I cannot understand how he'll do it. So I'm going to help him. I need to help God keep his promise. Can you hear some fear in Abram? He's 85 by the time we get to Genesis 16. Getting a little old to be bearing children, having a wife with children. He's 85. Sarah's 10 years behind him. <coughs> she has been barren all this time. By this time, two people naturally should have been able to conceive children. That's the normal, natural uh, means of life. And so then God has very clearly closed Sarah's womb. She cannot, Sarah at this point, have children. That is abundantly clear. They're realizing... I've trusted God, but it looks like God's not going to come through. May I say this? When we get saved, we believe God for the forgiveness of our sins through the faith in Jesus Christ. We believe God for the gift of eternal life, but we begin to see the life that God wants us to live, a life that says rejoice evermore. Here's what cheap counterfeiting of rejoice evermore looks like. Be sure and always say something positive. That's a cheap counterfeit for having true joy and being able to rejoice in every circumstance. 
Because here's what happens. We look at the commandment, rejoice evermore. You're going to do one of two things with that. Nobody can always rejoice. So God certainly must not mean to always rejoice. Well, I actually did. I mean, that's what he says over and over. I'm supposed to give thanks for all things. I'm supposed to do, listen now, I'm supposed to do all things without murmuring and disputing. Hear me now, this is not a high ideal that God does not anticipate us to live up to. Can I ask you a question? Do you think it's actually possible for a human being to live their life without murmuring and disputing? If not, then God tricked us in telling us to produce something we can't produce. Isn't that what he told Abraham? You're going to have children. Abraham says, God, I can't. Sarah and I are not having children. You told us to produce. Ooh, we can't. And here's what happens. I believe where the Galatians got off track. They see, now that they're saved, what God expects of them. And they say the best way to produce that is go back to the law. Somebody came along and said, well, if you want the real Christian life, you've got to go back and keep the feast. You've got to circumcise your children. And, they, and Paul's going to point out, that's not the way. That didn't work. <laughs> The law demands but doesn't give power to produce. God says you're going to have to have children to bear seed, and Abraham and Sarah come up with a plan to say, well, here's how we're going to produce what God has promised. And God does what he promises. And so here what we have is God made a very clear promise. May I say this? God has made some promises to us. He's told us this is a statement of fact. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He has told us that he has promised us abundant life. Not just life, not just the assurance that I'm going to live eternally with God in heaven. That's life, but an abundant life. A life filled with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and faith and temperance. We say, how can I discipline myself into that kind of a life? You cannot. But you say, but it's the promise of God. It is. So is it not God's expectation? Did God not expect Abram and Sarah to have children? Of course he did. What he did not expect is for them to do his work for them. Now, he didn't expect Abram and Sarai to perform a miracle. He expected them to believe him to perform a miracle i got news for you tonight, and I have a long way to go, a long way to go. But I can assure you there are some things present in my life today, present in my life today that are so in, in such conflict with who I am naturally that there's not any explanation that it is even possible that this would be present in my life outside a miracle from God. I am not an extrovert. I am not a person who likes to go out and meet new people and Friends, I am not bold by nature, and I'm not saying I'm bold all the time. I'm just telling you there are things that God has done that I've tried to do and tried to do and tried to do, and when it boils down to it, say, God, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, and, and when it comes down to it, say, yes, you have. You're trying to do what you need to rely on me to teach you to do and empower you to do. The Christian life, how many of you believe you could have saved yourself from your sin? then why in the world do we think we can live a life of holiness ourselves? Why do we think that we, through planning and purpose and, and willpower and all these things, and I'm telling you, this is what appeals to people about false religion. They'll say, do X, Y, and Z, and then you'll discover the secret life that you're trying to produce, and it doesn't work that way. And so then, the promise of God, back to our, our outline 
communicated clearly by God, confirmed by God, clarified by God. It will not just be some random person, Abram. It's going to come from your own bowels. This will be fruit from your own body. And so God knew what Abraham was questioning and what he was doubting, and, and, and he understood and yet the promise of God stood. God did not say, oh, Abram, I'm sorry. I didn't take into account you're getting older. I forgot about you down there. No, God's promise was still standing as of Genesis 15. So the promise of God uh, in those texts we read. Number two, the perplexity of the barrenness. As they went along and time goes by, the promise of God is seeming to be false. Yeah, Philippians 4.13 is a statement Paul makes, but it stands as a promise to us, does it not? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And that's a promise to us that we can have the power of Christ and overcome. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a promise from God. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Uh, also with the temptation make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And so the fact of the matter is that, that God has promised to deliver us, but there are times that it seems that God's not following through on His Word. There are seasons where we know what ought to be produced, we know what God has promised, but we're not seeing it come to fruition. And in this moment, we become impatient, and it perplexes us. Why is the life that God said is supposed to be produced in me is not? And so we come into chapter 15. We just read verses 1 through 3, where Abram said in verse 3, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my, my house is mine heir. Let's, can we step into Abram's shoes for just a minute? God told Abram, you, you leave your, your kindred, you leave everything you're familiar with, leave your established life, go to a, a, a land that I will show thee, and then I'll bless you. And you took God at his word, you left everything you knew, you left your father, buried him in Haran, you left all that was familiar, now you've left Lot, all you have is you and Sarai and God. You have stepped out in faith, and now God makes this promise. It's been 10 years, and he had not kept it. Would it not make you think, well, I wonder if I'm going to get the blessing at all? Barrenness spiritually begins to perplex us, and it should. I thought God said that he not only gave life, but he gave abundant life. Is this not exactly what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness? They get into the wilderness and they say, wait a minute, you told us we were leaving Egypt to go into the land of Canaan and look, there's no water and there's no meat and there's no flesh. All we have is this manna in the morning. I mean, Moses, where is the land we were promised? Is there not sometimes a disconnect or a distance between believing God and receiving what you believed him for? Hmm? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to you. You say, I've got a decision to make, and I need some wisdom, and God promised me wisdom, and I asked, but I'm still, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, our barrenness and wisdom, our barrenness of joy, someone says, oh, I tell you what, as far as I know, I'm fully surrendered to God, but I don't know what all this fullness of joy is that all these people talk about. Hmm? I've never experienced that. You must not have been saved very long. <laughs> There's a disconnect between what we are and what we know we're supposed to be. Abram and Sarai were barren, but they knew they were supposed to be parents. How did they know they were supposed to be parents? Who told them? God. It's not like they dreamed this up of their own selves. It's not like they said, we want to be parents so bad, we just believe. No, no, no. God told them, you're going to be. 
So their expectation actually came from God himself. But they hadn't realized it yet. What they were and what they knew they were supposed to be by the promise of God was two different things. And so here was a dangerous spot. By the way, according to God's word, Abraham is at this point already a justified man. He's already believed God and God's counted him for righteousness. But as he looks at himself and says, here's the life I'm supposed to produce. God promised me. But I'm still not what he promised. I'm not a father. <laughs> well, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up with a mechanism to produce it. Can I use an illustration? And I believe this is accurate. I believe it's, I believe it's fair. We know we ought to win souls as God's people. Do we not? We're supposed to, aren't Christians supposed to reproduce Christians? And so what happens? You say, Lord, I want to win people of the Lord. I want to win people of the Lord. So you start giving out gospel tracts. You overcome the fear of people rejecting a gospel tract. You start giving out gospel tracts or whatever you do. You witness to a coworker. And everybody you talk to is like, you know, either thank you or no thank you, but hey, you're not seeing people repent and believe on Christ. So all of a sudden it's like, I know I want to see people saved. And just sowing the seed of God's word and praying over it and speaking to people and witnessing and giving the gospel isn't working itself alone. So I got to do something else. Let's develop a soul winning method that will produce decisions. Yikes. That's dangerous. Can I say I've been an independent Baptist long enough to see the fruit of that thing? Listen, I want you to listen very closely. I am 100% for fervent, bold, witnessing, and winning the lost. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we not just timidly give the gospel, we persuade men. We are to be bold in our witness. But if we're not careful to produce fruit, we'll come up with sales tactics and say, let's get some decisions. And you know what we've gotten? Oh, we've gotten some. We've put lost men in the pulpits. Huh? I'm telling you, it's happened. This is an illustration of trying to pr produce fruit in the power of the flesh. Is it good to want to win souls? Yes. If you and I can win, I have known of men who are living in open sin and claim to be soul winners. If you can be living in open sin, willful, I'm talking about men having affairs. I've heard of men having adulterous affairs, but hey, they're still winning souls. No. It takes the power of the Spirit of God to persuade men. Amen? How can you do that when you're quenching God's Spirit and grieving God's Spirit through a life of disobedience? That, that's not possible. And so uh, my point is, I'm only using that as one illustration. That's a good desire. That's a good thing to want to win souls. But if we don't wait on the Lord to do the work in us that he might work through us, and I'm not talking about continue to do the work. I'm just saying if we're not careful in that, in that moment of barrenness, when we're not bearing fruit and we know we ought to be, we'll come up with a way to bear fruit. That's what they did. That's exactly what got the Galatians. They had some Judaizers come along and said, the reason you're not having the experience that you want is because you've missed something here. God saved you to take you. You're, true Christians keep the law. True Christians observe Sabbath. True Christians circumcise their children. You're not really saved until you do that. And so because someone's, listen, if you're in a barren place spiritually, you beware. See, I don't really have joy as a Christian right now. I don't really have a lot of peace. I don't feel love for much of anybody. I'm not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. If I am, it's so minimal. I can't hardly see it. You be careful because something will catch your ear other than the truth and say, here's how. Here's what you can do. 
here's the 15 steps you can take to spiritual fruition by next week be careful abram and sarah in a period of barrenness made a horrendous decision they decided to keep god's promise for him you know what it takes to do that it takes spiritual dishonesty i mean honestly can you can you imagine today a couple saying and boy how my heart goes out to couples who can't have children there is something about that the bible says that the barren womb it's never enough it's just like the grave barren wombs like the grave are like a consuming fire it never says it is enough All right so there's something there's something gnawing and i think spiritually there's an application there you're not bearing the fruit you know you ought to as a christian something gnaws you and says how do i produce how do i produce fruit and in those moments if we're not careful we'll fall for a a fleshly plan that operates outside of the miracle working power of the holy spirit of god and so then the perplexity of barrenness let me give you a few points on that number one the promise of god unfulfilled created perplexity abram says it in verse three you've not given me seed yet lord you promised it but i don't have it then the prohibition of god look at chapter 16 what sarai says now sarai abram's wife bare him no children 10 years after the promise and she had an handmaid an egyptian whose name was hagar and sarai said unto abram behold now the lord hath restrained me from bearing i pray thee go in unto my maid it may be that i may obtain children by her and abram hearkened to the voice of sarai this is twice in the bible we see something like this pulled uh, some of abram's grandchildren would do this Jacob would pull this with Leah and Rachel, and Rachel and Leah would pull it. Well, I can't have kids right now, so maybe you can marry my handmaid, and she can. I'll say it's mine. That is so messed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, that's messed up. You talk, you talk about begging for heartache. Yeah. Well, anytime we start thinking in fleshly reasoning, you know what they did? They quit thinking by faith. And we've all done it, so let's not be hard on them. <laughs> Let's learn a point where we say, well, simply waiting on God isn't working. So, you know, let's try this. We waited on God. Uh, clearly, we must have misunderstood his promise. Maybe this, is, maybe this is what God wanted us to do. Maybe God wanted me to commit adultery, and that's how we'll bear fruit. That's absurd. That's what he did with his wife's permission. <laughs> Not her only permission, with her direction. <laughs> yeah, you hear this woman, I think she's burdened for Abram. And he burdened for her, and they come up with this crazy idea. You know, fleshly reasoning, when you look back on it, you always say, what was I thinking? We weren't. Thinking outside of the wisdom of God is never wise. It's always foolishness. But the promise of God unfulfilled, coupled with the prohibition of God to bear fruit, uh, brings about you know, a, a distress over the purpose of God. God's purpose was to get glory in this. God's purpose was to do something that reveals there's a God in heaven. Any two people that are married can have children. Lost people have children. Saved people have children. Unless God doesn't see fit to bless them with children, it's a natural process for married couples to have children. But it's a supernatural process for a woman whose womb is dead. That's what Romans 4 said. Abram is good as dead, and Sarah's womb was dead, incapable of producing life by natural means, and yet she had a child. God wants it to be clear that the life we live is the life of Christ in us, not our life for him, but his life in us. How is the world going to know that Jesus Christ is living today? 
So, well, the Bible says it. I know, but the world doesn't even believe what the Bible says about creation, let alone about the resurrection. Do they? Aren't we epistles written of God, read of men? That's what Corinthians says. It, didn't Paul say, for to me to live is Christ, the die is gain? God has designed the Christian life to be in such a way that when it is lived his way, the only logical true answer is Jesus Christ is truly alive because he's living inside that person. If we can produce the Christian life without the power of Christ, we'll deceive people about him. We'll make them think we're great. We'll make them think we, through our intellectual wisdom, us, through our great character, no, no, you know what Christians are? There are people who are letting Jesus Christ live his life through them. Now, that's Bible. But what happens is we try to produce that on our own because there is a season of barrenness for us, a point where we have to realize if I'm going to bear fruit, God is going to have to do a miracle with me. Now, we came to the point where we understood salvation was that way, did we not? If, if I'm going to be made a righteous person, if I'm going to be made fit for heaven, God's going to have to save me. I'm a sinner. I deserve God's judgment. I deserve, deserve God's wrath. But remember, the Galatians had already believed on Christ, but now they're going back to trying to live the Christian life in the power of the flesh. It doesn't work. Fleshly reasoning, fleshly willpower, fleshly uh, wisdom, fleshly purpose. No, no, no. God had a purpose in this, and what happens is the purpose of God was not comprehended by Abram and Sarai. And so they got ahead of God, and there was perplexity in their barrenness. We see that again in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, and chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Now, God had a plan for them to, uh, to produce, but they had a plan to produce. God's plan was for him to do a miracle for them so that it would be very clear God had produced this seed through a miracle, but... Abram and Sarai, in chapter 16, verse 1 through 3, they come up with a plan to produce, okay? God's promised a seed, but God has not kept that promise yet, so we must need to come up with some kind of plan to get seed for God to bless. Then again, verses 1 through 3 of Genesis 16. So we've seen the promise of God, uh, the perplexity of barrenness, number 3, the plan to produce. Verse 1, now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram, hearing, uh, Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Do, do we feel what's wrong with this? Number one, this plan requires deceit. It requires deceit. There's deceitfulness in this plan. They're going to say that child that she had is actually mine. Well, then just go kidnap a child and say that's yours. What's the difference? You know what? For us to say we're righteous outside of the presence of the Spirit of God and the leadership of the Spirit of God, it's just a facade. The best thing we can produce by conformity to the law is a form of godliness. Remember what the false teachers teach? They have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. You know what Phariseeism was? Man's best attempt at keeping the law. Can we all agree the Pharisees were dishonest? 
that what they appeared to be is not what they were? So here's what happens. Abram, Sarai, Hagar, and Ishmael walk into the local store. There weren't those, but just bear with me here. They say, oh, uh, welcome. And who are you? I'm Abram. Who's this? My wife, Sarai, and our son, Ishmael. What a lovely family. And this is our handmaid, Hagar. Oh, that's, that's producing some good vibes right there. You, Hagar, you liking that? Requires deceit, doesn't it? Someone says, oh, I am righteous. Why? Well, I keep the feast. You know, every, every September, hey, I'm right here. And on Saturday, I, I worship on Saturday, not on Sunday. My children have been circumcised. Now, I believe in Jesus, of course. And I read my Bible, and I've been baptized, and I go to church. Um, now, you know, I do these things, and, and so I'm doing the best I can. I'm righteous. That's just a lie. Are you proud? But we don't talk about that. I know proud people, and I'm not one of those. <laughs> you see, the Pharisees, the best they could produce was a lie. When we try to, to establish our own righteousness by conforming to the law, the Old Testament law, because God knew we couldn't produce it, when we tried, the best we're doing is producing a deceitful form. It is an outward form that presents us as righteous when we are not. Presents us as having produced an Isaac, of having a new nature, a miraculous birth, when it has not taken place. That's in relation to salvation. But even how we carry out our lives, if we're not careful, we misrepresent the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel by saying my righteousness is in me and my conformity to God's law. No, no, no. My righteousness is in Christ and His presence within me. And so then the plan to produce was based in deceitfulness. Number two or letter B, there was disorder in this plan. Do you notice how this plan was initiated? The same way the plan to eat the fruit in the garden was initiated. There's disorder. What's God's order for the family? Who's the spiritual leader there? That's the husband. Say, no, wait, wait a minute now, Pastor. Later, Sarai says, get rid of Hagar, and God says, yes, do what she says. Who did, who did Abram end up obeying when he got rid of Hagar? God. Did God tell him to take Hagar? No. This is just something, there was disorder. It was out of order. This is not God's plan. This goes back to a law of nature. This goes back to a law God has put in place in the Garden of Eden. This is not something uh, that has changed. And so there's deceitfulness in this plan. There's disorder in this plan. And, of course, there's defilement in this plan. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wives? No, this is an immoral relationship. This is one of the accounts in the Bible where I can take you to and say this is where God said divorce is right. It's a fornicating relationship. You know what? If a man is a polygamist, he needs to put everybody, every one of those away but his first wife. Meaning you need to sever those relationships. Here, I can only find a few accounts in the Bible where God told someone to put away a wife. Here's one of them. Because she wasn't a wife. She's a concubine, if you would. And God said, no, you put her away. God never intended two, one man to have two wives. I find another one in the New Testament. A Herod took Herodias, his brother's wife, to be his wife. You know what John the Baptist said? Our word would be divorce her. It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. It was an instance that the Bible calls fornication, not adultery. Nowhere in your Bible does it say saving for the cause of adultery. That's not in the book. How many of you know God did not give allowance for divorce by adultery? He said saving for the cause of fornication, meaning it is an inherently immoral relationship. It is, it is incestuous for a man to take his brother's wife, put her away. 
Here, God would later say, you put Hagar, cast out the bondwoman and her son. This was all you're doing, and I never wanted this for your life. But you produced. So the plan to produce, there was deceitfulness in the plan. There was disorder in this plan. There was defilement in this plan. And then there was a demand in this plan. There's somebody that gets caught up in this, and she is not willingly involved in this. And I'm not saying she didn't have some, some burden to bear, but Hagar is used as a picture of, of the person under the law. You know why Hagar went in with Abraham? Because she was told she had to. Did she love Abram? No. Did Abram love her? No. Was this a willing mutual relationship? No. Do you know why people obey the law? Do or die. It's fear of death. You know why Hagar did? Who's going to feed her if she doesn't obey Abram and Sarai? You find out in short order, they turn her out and she nearly uh, thirsts to death. She knows where her survival is found. She's like the person under the law. I've got to cooperate or I die. Not because I love him. That's why Sarah's called the free woman and she's a bondmaid. She is doing what she's doing out of fear of death, not out of assurance of life. No, she's there. You know what Abram's doing? What is his motivating factor? Help me here tonight. What's his motivating factor? I am 85, and I must do something because I'm going to die. What's motivating him, the fear of death or the assurance of life? Fear of death. That's what the law does. That's all it gives you is the fear of death. God had promised him a seed, had he not? Couldn't he go to the bank and say, I will have children before I die? Here's the irony of this. Abram's going to live another 90 years after this. He lived to be 175. And he had a lot more kids with Keturah, his wife, after Sarah died. Completely right relationship. Sarah's dead. She, look, God blessed him in the, in the years, late years of his life. But Abraham, knowing death is coming, I have a limited amount of time. I, if I'm going to have seed, I've got to do this now. Friend, we get impatient on God. We get in trouble. And that's what happened. There's a perplexity in their barrenness that brought them to a plan to produce and what happens is in there, there's a demand. There's a, a demand placed on Hagar as the woman. She represents the one under the law, serving not because she is serving by force, not by freedom. You know what? You know why Sarah was married to Abraham? This really boils down. It's very simple. Because she wanted to be. It was her choice. She wanted to be. Do you know why Hagar married Abraham? She had to. She was told, do or die. And she's under bondage under bondage. And this all represents the person living under the law, trying to produce righteousness by the deeds of the law. It's just bondage, and it's all out of the fear of death. Finally, we come to the product of their decision, and we see this in Genesis 16, verses 4, all the way down through chapter 17, verse 1. And I'm just going to list these to you, okay, and then we'll conclude with how do we respond if it's not like this, okay? We, we see what the flesh produces, number one, by the, the plan in and the deceitfulness, disorder, the defilement, and the bondage that's in this plan. But number four, the product. Immediately we begin to see the, the consequences of this choice. And he went in unto Hagar and she conceived. But they succeeded. It worked. Isn't that what they wanted to happen? It worked. You know, be careful with fleshly plans. Sometimes they work. This one did. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised. What do you think would be the root sin here? Pride. 
Immediately it is, I was able to produce what you can't. I can have children with him and you can't. And she began to look down on her mistress. You know, she despised Sarah. The person that thinks they're producing righteousness by the deeds of the law. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And thankfully, I'm not like that guy over there that can't produce what I do. You ever read that? Pride, despite for others. The Bible says, God despiseth not any. My wife and I were talking about that recently. She had read it. Isn't it amazing that God doesn't despise? Now, God is angry with the wicked every day. That's different than despite. God is better than everybody. But he doesn't despise because he's not proud. God is good, unlike ourselves. And so the first fruit of this was despite or pride. And of course, defilement. We dealt with that already. There's uncleanness now in this marriage and in this home. Hagar is defiled. Abram is defiled. Sarai is defiled. They have committed an act of disobedience to God, and they are defiled. There's despite. There's discord. We see that very clearly. The Bible says, verse 5, And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. You shouldn't have let me do this. You shouldn't have done it. You shouldn't have consented to it. And by the way, she's, she's actually right while being wrong. My wrong be upon thee. Does that sound familiar? You ever heard that in the Garden of Eden? The woman that thou gavest to be with me, Lord. Lord the serpent. Right? There's discord. And so then, uh, verse 5, And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Now there's discord between Sarah and Abram. Verse 6, But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. When Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Boy, there's a conflict now, isn't there? Where there was peace, there's conflict. Where does this come from? Fleshly reasoning. This is how we're going to produce what God promised. There's defilement, the despite, discord, desolation. We won't take time to read it, but you find Hagar out in the wilderness. You know what? You know, the law will leave you dead and empty. She's out there thirsting to death. Wait a minute, ain't she going to have a baby? Shouldn't she have happiness and joy? But she can't. It was produced the wrong way. So she's in the wilderness and uh, she is there. And the, the Bible says in verse 7, And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness by the fountain of the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou? Whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Later you find her and Ishmael nearly, that's when they're about to thirst to death after they're cast out and God takes care of them. But my point is this, you find all this bad outcome, and we'll read about that in Galatians chapter 5. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. He goes through all these immoral sins and uh, these religious uh, spiritual sins and sensual sins and all these things that will be dealt with. That That's all the flesh can produce. And we're just categorizing some of them. Desolation, she's lonely, all alone because of the discord that was produced by this fleshly act. Distance for Abram. Notice this, in the end of chapter 16, and you Bible students already know this, but the end of chapter 16, verse 16, and Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. How old was he? 86, chapter 17, verse 1. It's a large space between these two chapters. 
And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram. Thirteen years, no fellowship with God. Thirteen years. That's longer than the ten years he had lived in Canaan. Thirteen years. Far as we know, there's no record of God appearing to or speaking to Abraham for thirteen years. You know what sensual decisions make, fleshly decisions? They create distance between us and God. They cut off God's voice. We can't hear Him like we should. You know what happened to the Galatians? They started reasoning how to produce a Christian life in the power of the flesh. The next voice they heard is the Lord warning them, you're going astray. This is not how it's done. So then there was distance. And then chapter 17, verse 8, you'll find there was disappointment. Abram and God are communicating. Verse 7 of chapter 17, God says this to Abram, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee uh, the land wherein uh, thou wast a stranger, thou art a stranger, and the land, uh, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant. I, I must have written the wrong text down. Abraham says to God, O that Ishmael, verse 18, And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. Verse 19, And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And he says, I'll bless Ishmael, but I'm not going to establish my covenant with him, not like I will with Isaac. What a disappointment. Abraham has a son that turns out the Bible says to be a what kind of a man? A wild man. I mean, he's untamed and untempered. He was a wild man. And boy, he is still today in his offspring. You know what happened is Abram and Sarah come up with this idea. We're going to produce in ourselves through natural means what God promised. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen that way. What happens is the fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. You and I do not, in the natural means, produce what only the Spirit of God can produce. It's as we walk in the Spirit, meaning He directs, He empowers. How many of us know that the Lord Jesus Christ literally ministers to you by His Holy Spirit within you to enable you to do His will? It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And the Christian life is carried out that way. What would be the primary ingredient that produced this decision of the flesh that has so many horrendous outcomes? There it is. Unbelief. So Abram believed God. He did, but in that action he did not. He said, I can't trust God to give me the seed he promised, so I've got to figure out how to do it without him. Ooh, dangerous. We can do that in our personal Christian lives. Listen, Bonner's Free Baptist Church, we can do that as a church. We can put our stamp of approval and our blessing and put our heads together on methods that, well, God's not giving us the souls we want to see saved. I think every person in this room would greatly rejoice to see some soul saved in Bonner's Ferry and added to this church. We would rejoice to see 10 of them. While we wait on God to do something like that, well, maybe he just, I mean, he said, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. But I'm not seeing a lot of sheaves, are you? So we better help him out. Do you realize how many 
How much of church has been changed because of barrenness? We got to get them in here. And if simply preaching the gospel won't get it done, we got to do something else. Now you tell me it's producing good fruit. Friend, it's not. That applies at the church level, applies at the individual level, the family level. You know what? I want to see my children serve the Lord. You know what that's going to take? They're going to have to love the Lord themselves. We can try to shortcut that process, but God has to do a work. So may we wait on the Lord. So as bad as we see this decision is, the solution is faith. We listen to God's word, we obey God's word, and we wait on God to keep his promises. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. How many, how many times, I'll give you one last illustration. How many times we've seen somebody says, you know what, I really believe God wants me to get married someday. I really do. And I'm praying for God to send me the right mate. Man, I'm 25. I'm going to die without getting married. So I better go get this figured out. What are they operating out of? Fear of death or assurance of God's promises? See, it's not a fear of death. It's just fear of not getting married. No, it's fear of death. If I, I've only got so long to live. So I've got to do something while I can. That's not a good motivation. No, no. Faith says I can trust God to keep his word. Even when it seems like I'm going to outlive his promises. No, no. We can always rest on God's promises. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Amen.